you can very accurately look, look around the abdomen and see if there's anything else going on. So for example, in a, in a female, you can look at the ovaries, the tubes, the uterus, the bladder, as well as the bowel, the appendix, and everything else. Liam Horgan. Quick in, quick out, leave the swab there. He's an Irish surgeon. Yeah, I just let out some, let out some smoke. He's been a doctor for over 20 years, operating and teaching. Yeah, pull with your left hand, pull with your left hand. And just below that. Right around the world, thousands of miles away in Tanzania in East Africa, a woman is praying for surgeons like Liam. She's just outside the door of an operating theatre, lying on a trolley, and she's about to go in. Her name is Bathilda Moshi. The corridor she's in is poorly lit. Everywhere looks a bit grim and worn down, but Bathilda has faith. It's a nice prayer. A nice prayer. The nurse explains that Bathilda is actually making up the prayer. Saying the first operation was done in Eden by God himself. She's saying that God was the first surgeon, that he took Adam's rib in the Garden of Eden. And now she's asking him to guide the surgeon's hand. And make sure that she's safe and healed. It's the day before the operation. Bathilda's in the ward of the hospital. The local surgeon is examining her. Bathilda's operation is happening in part because of a friendship between that local surgeon in Tanzania and the Irish surgeon Liam Horgan. <laughs> Hi, we can hear you. Yeah, but I can't. Well. Okay. So, how are you? Liam is struggling with Skype. You're not there. Yeah, the connection isn't very good, Dr. Kondo. Dr. Kondo is his long-distance Tanzanian colleague. They've been working together for the past 12 years. How many laparoscopic operations did you do last year? 97 last year. 97? These conversations are, of course, about medicine. Hello? But they're also part of a great medical adventure to take modern medicine and make it work in one of the world's poorest countries. Dr. Kondo. An adventure that includes Coca-Cola gas and mosquito netting. Hi again, Dr. Kondo. The stories they tell sound like something from the 80s TV series MacGyver. Remember him? The action hero who could build a spaceship with a Swiss army knife and some duct tape. Do you want to turn your video off and just leave the sound on? So when we do keyhole surgery, we put a telescope through your belly button and then we pump the abdomen full of gas, just enough to lift the abdominal wall away from the internal organs so that you can see what's going on inside. So carbon dioxide gas is needed. And of course, there wasn't a supply available. And actually, we were sitting at the canteen having a drink. And we were drinking Coca-Cola because that's a big drink in Africa. You know, they're, they're all over Africa, basically. Looking at the, the, the bubbles rising in the Coca-Cola, you know, as we drank it. And we thought, well, hang on a second, there's carbon dioxide in these drinks. We're actually drinking them. It's got to be fairly safe. So we made some inquiries and we found out that the carbon dioxide that is used in Coca-Cola is 98 point something percent pure, whereas the medical grade carbon dioxide is 99 point something percent pure. So there's very, very little difference at all in it. 
So that started off on the, the idea of using carbon dioxide gas, uh, which was made locally and not medical grade. And that's what we had in the operating theatres and that's what we used. So that was a, that was a result, to be honest. To do in there? Crimson. Not the blue rig out, but the crimson rig out. I should probably say now that Liam is my brother, Plastic. which is why he thinks he can talk to me There's like all this. Sorts of things. Liposuction equipment there, Emer, if you're interested. And. Uh, <laughs> give you a kick with and, my clock. Um, because he's my brother, I've heard his stories about Africa from the beginning. The hospital he visits in Tanzania is called Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Centre. It must be one of the few hospitals in the world where hymns are piped through the PA system in the wards. First impressions are that it's run down, desperately overcrowded and chaotic. It has 400 beds, but serves a population of some 13 million, with just three consultant surgeons. One of these is Dr. Kondo, who gave me a tour of his operating theatre. And uh, here again, you can see there are some drawers which are, are quite empty. Liam also showed me around his hospital. And as you can see, it's all fully stocked, you know. North Tyneside General Hospital in the UK. And you can see along here we've got lots of labels and these are drug labels. Listening to Liam and Kondo, the differences are stark. So as you can see here, we have a few boxes, but they're quite old. Some of the stuff inside, they're outdated. The expiring date is um, many, many years back. Um, we've got infusion pumps for the anaesthetic agents. We've got all the defibrillator equipment here, fibre optic intubation equipment, all the fancy stuff you need. We have two anaesthetic machines. One is broken down because of a certain reason. The other one is broken down of a certain reason, but they are of different nature. So the two work together to complement the work of one another. Those two machines Dr. Kondo showed me, the two anaesthetic machines which were hitched together because each had a bit that worked, they could stand as a sort of metaphor for Dr. Kondo and Liam. Hello. 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 <laughs> they do complement each other's work. Hello again. I'm feeling frustration. <laughs> Luckily, um, Kondo and Liam don't have to rely on Skype to communicate. They do get to meet face to face. Hello. Once a year, Liam flies into the local Kilimanjaro airport. How are you? I'm good. Great and you? Great I'm good to see you, you too. <laughs> yeah. Very well. <laughs> Great. As Liam was arriving at the airport this year, the patient we met earlier, Bathilda, was still at home. Home for her is a block outhouse in the yard of her husband's family place. It's way out in the forest, along a dirt track. She has appendicitis, and then she has goldstone. 
Bathilda will be operated on in Dr. Kondo's hospital. Her time there and the surgery will cost her about 350 euro. Maybe two cows and like 10 goats. Bathilda doesn't have cows or goats that she can sell. She's quite poor, but her friends and neighbours, having seen her suffering for years, have rallied together to raise the money needed for her operation. Hey, David, how are you? At the hospital, Liam and Kondo are preparing for a training course for Tanzanian doctors. They're running together. Dr Kondo, how do we get into this? <laughs> However, they still have their problems with technology. We need to have an internet to check no, no. whether there is. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I said, yeah. I think it needs a driver. Liam should be able to fix this. He's handy enough. In fact, when he was a teenager, he was torn between medicine and engineering. I set up a little bike repair project <laughs> where, where um, I used to repair bikes to my friends, particularly the electrics, because we electric lights came in on the bikes then with dynamos and things, you know. And they could never get them working. I had a nice little earner there making just a few pennies. I remember doing that. My father died uh, almost 40 years back. How old but were you? 70 years. That must have been a terrible shock when you were yeah, that yeah. young. Yeah, very, very young. And then my mother is a peasant. So I'm coming from very low social economic family. And my mom continued to encourage us that we have to work hard because we don't have a father who is going to look after us. I'd seen stuff on telly, you know, it was around the time where they first broadcast operations on television. And it seemed so exciting and romantic and thrilling and, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. I used to hear from other people that medicine is a very tough cause. I wasn't intimidated. I said... I have to be backed by the past experience of my life. So go around the back with your left hand. And grab it around the back. Open and grab it around the back. I knew that if I went into medicine, I wanted to be a surgeon really from the word go. I didn't want to be anything else. That's it. Nice and slowly. And that was back to my wanting to do things with my hands, you know. I was very much interested to join surgery. I think we want to change the pots. Number one, Nani. You can use your hands to manipulate tissues. You're very personally involved. It's your hands, mm. your eyes, mm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a field also reveals the disease. Bathilda mm. has arrived from the country to the hospital. She's on a ward that's built for six but has 13 patients on beds and camp beds. And the corridor is lined with camp beds too. As I told you earlier on, the first impression is of chaos. But if you sit there for a while on the ward, you realise that the atmosphere is really good. <laughs> patients' families bring them food, banana stew, flasks of tea. And the patients share their visitors, a bit like the way Irish patients share their grapes. If Bathilda had been here years ago with her problems, she'd have had an open procedure and been left with a large wound on her stomach. But now she's going to have laparoscopic or keyhole surgery. 
So what we do is we make a tiny incision through the belly button, through the umbilicus, okay, so less than a centimetre. And then we put a telescope through there, so literally a cylinder, which is only one centimetre in diameter. And you hook it up to the light source here, and so light goes down this telescope through the lens system. And then you've got a camera, like a video camera, a compact video camera that you stick to the other end of the telescope, and that then displays the image on the screen. But all that technology, the telescope, the light sources, the TV monitors, they're all fine in Europe where there's the money and basic things like uninterrupted electricity supply. So when, in 2004, a Tanzanian doctor asked Liam to try out keyhole surgery in his hospital, Liam was very sceptical. I came out on a fact-finding visit really the first year I came. And actually very rapidly I worked out that laparoscopic surgery was probably exactly what they wanted. The problems that I encountered were, for example, for example, crowding on the wards. So you have a, a bay with, designed for six beds with 13 patients in it, and you get cross-contamination, etc., between patients. The other side of it then was pain relief. Because laparoscopic or keyhole surgery involves obviously tiny cuts, the amount of pain patients get after their operations is much less. So rather than a big up and down cut through your abdomen, you have little one centimeter incisions. So pain relief, is not needed and that's important because actually it's not just that they need it, it's the fact that there isn't a lot of pain relief to go around. So it, it's difficult to, to find the drugs to give you adequate pain relief here. And the third thing is back to normal activity quickly. Here it's really important that people are productive, that they work, that they support their families. So you know they can't just take weeks off and nothing happens. If they take weeks off they don't work, they don't make money, they don't feed their families. And also they come from a long distance away, so it's a long way to travel. They've got to pay for the travel, they've got to pay for their accommodation in the hospital. So when I came here, I, I was worried that the technology was too far ahead for them. But when I saw the situation, I realised that instead of saying they shouldn't have this technology because they can't cope with it, we should really take the approach they should have this technology because they need it. So if Liam was going to bring keyhole surgery to that part of Tanzania, he'd need two things. One was money, for equipment and supplies. Now here's another Irish connection. One of the groups in Northumbria who organised fundraisers like this one is an Irish family from Westmeath, the Wilsons. Liam was sitting out there on the big rock. <laughs> and Liam was, we were saying, what are you doing now, Liam? I said, well, I'm on a project now, he says, and where he's working in his hospital and he was travelling over and doing operations and so but said, the only thing we were short of was money. <laughs> so I said, well, how can we help? So he said, if we could find some money, that would be it. So we said we had to chat and come up the idea we'd have a ball. So we had this ball and we raised £14,000. Pat Wilson. His daughter, Kate, says it wasn't that difficult to interest people in laparoscopic surgery. People within the group had said, oh, well, I remember having keyhole surgery, yeah, and I was out the next day, or, you know, the, when we're talking about, imagine being in for weeks and having to walk so far. Someone who's maybe had gallbladder pain before and remembers the pain they were in, and it really just hit home to them, I think. Yeah, so it really wasn't hard at all to get people to want to hand over money. As well as money, the other thing Liam and the Tanzanian medics needed was a surgeon who would work with Liam learning the skills of keyhole surgery. 
That surgeon was Dr. Kondo. He's here with Liam on the ward assessing Bathilda before her surgery. So we're doing a diagnostic laparoscopy. Kondo did come across as somebody who was very committed to the area, to the people and all the rest of it. And what I most liked about him was that he didn't rush anything. He was very thoughtful and careful. And as it turns out, he's, he's a very safe surgeon. So I, I really appreciated that. So, I mean, if she hasn't been jaundiced and she sounds like a biliary colic, doesn't it? Yeah. So she'd probably be okay. He's a very humble man and he always tried to be calm and wait. He doesn't just come and say, oh, you have to do this and that. No, he's not of that type. They had seen her with, uh, with the swearing. Okay, the where abdomen. is it then? Whereabouts? It's on the anterior abdomen. Can she point? Yeah. Okay, so it's an epigastric hernia. It's epigastric. And there's no previous incision? No. Mm -hmm. No previous incision. If I'd gone out and taught somebody how to do an operation and then within 10 years, you know, they'd kill 10% of their patients, I mean, that wouldn't look good, would it? So, so I, was very keen to, I was very keen to make sure he didn't do that. And, of course, he didn't. And he's actually an excellent okay. surgeon. Yeah. And then if she comes to theatre, it'll have to be marked carefully, so yeah, we know. Exactly. And then it'll be an open approach, yeah. and we'd use a bit of mesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. But are you worried about her asthma on her chest? Yeah, I'm very much worried. And I don't know whether the softish mass on the left is supercovitual yeah. region is connected. Right. He has been always encouraging. You don't feel that what you have done is wrong or bad. It keeps on encouraging you to do more, to do your best. <laughs> when Liam and the team from North Tyneside Hospital come to Tanzania, they bring suitcases of goodies. This is going to interest you. Medical goodies. Mm. Four scissors. Because I know the scissors okay. were getting blunt, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Four graspers again. Mm. And then another... What Liam brings home from Tanzania isn't something you can pack in a suitcase. He gets a chance to practice medicine in a way he no longer can at home. You don't get bogged down by the bureaucracy, which we do more and more in Western Europe. You don't spend your life in front of a computer filling in forms and writing reports, which we do in Europe again, you know. So they have a very, very direct patient-doctor relationship. I mean, that's what it's all about, you know. It's quite refreshing for us to do that and to realise actually that this is what it's all about. It's not about the paperwork, you know, it is about the doctor-patient relationship. That's the most important thing. It brings you back to your roots. Yeah. Yes. And some of the yes. handles. Mm -hmm. yeah. So hopefully that will keep you going for another okay. ten years. Okay. Now, here's the next bit. <laughs> so this is the one we've been talking to each other about. Liam takes some netting out of the suitcase. So what do you think of that? Uh, the, the mesh? It looks just like mosquito netting. And that's exactly what it is. For a standard open mesh hernia repair, you're only going to need 6 by 11. Nowadays, mesh is used in hernia operations. If you don't use mesh, the chances of the hernia coming back are 1 in 4. Whereas if you use mesh, they're about 1 in 100. So it's a huge benefit. But medical mesh can cost over 300 euro. However, if you cut mosquito netting to the right size and sterilise it, you can bring the cost right down. It's probably 1 cent. A mesh, so that's a lot. Hey, hey, a lot. Yes. <laughs> that is so cheap that every every yeah. case that's coming in with a hernia will be fixed with mesh.
If you thought the idea of Coca-Cola gas and surgery was bizarre, let me introduce you to the Polaments in a big box. We found all our sugar cubes, all our polamints, all our blue tack, all our toothpicks. In a classroom in the hospital, Liam and Kondo are teaching young surgeons how to perform keyhole surgery. Box trainers, they're called. Each student is standing at a table with a box on it. It's basically a box which represents the human abdomen. The box is closed with holes in the lid. Through these holes, they've pushed long instruments with claws on the end of them. They're like small litter pickers. They also have a webcam inside the box and they're looking at the picture on a laptop in front of them. And then you can set up exercises within that box. We start with basic skills like stacking sugar cubes. Or they have to put Tic Tacs into a bag, cut shapes out of balloons and pile polaments onto matchsticks while looking at the computer screen. And they're not allowed to cheat by putting their hands in and <laughs> building them up. So, so the there box. are two balloons. Uh, oh, there's one balloon is, yeah, inside. is outside another balloon. One is inside. It's inside another yes. balloon. I yes. see. Okay, yeah. and then you have to dissect without perforating the inner balloon. Yeah. That looks very hard. Yeah. And if you think it's hard snipping a piece out of a balloon while not bursting another balloon inside it, try tying a knot in a piece of thread using a pair of long tongs. It's uh, in the beginning. It's really difficult, but as you go, you find it's, it's easy. There's a power cut. This happens a lot. The slightly weird games with toothpicks, balloons and sugar cubes. This is where those skills are put to use. The operating theatre in the hospital. The young students are scrubbed up and being mentored by Liam and Kondo. Inside the abdomen need not to interfere with the camera, otherwise there will be a fight inside the, the abdomen. Yeah. Outside on a trolley is Bethilda. How is she doing? How is she feeling? Pretty scared. Good. She's happy because it's the day she will be healed. She will be healed. Healed, she hopes, of years of pain. Mathilda's now 43 and has been ill on and off since her mid-30s. Kondo and Liam know her gallbladder is diseased and they suspect there may also be a problem with her appendix. Whatever happens, she's glad to be on this hospital gurney today. The pain will be finished completely, not just reduced. She's just happy. So we're agreed, can we agree the patient's name and procedure? Although Liam's approach in theatre is essentially the same as it would be at home. You call out the patient's name and procedure. And he's working with equally committed staff. He also knows that it's a radically different environment. I suppose the thing that strikes you the most is probably the, the value of life here. It's through no fault of anybody it's you know it's not seen as quite as valuable as maybe in europe for example what, what do you mean by that what i mean is that people come in with problems that we would take for granted could be sorted out and fixed and whatever in ireland or england or whatever and here they just haven't got the machinery the drugs the room the facilities whatever to deal with it you know for example there was a young child six month old child came in with a strangulated hernia but basically, the bowel is pushing out through the muscle and it's in the wrong place. It's pushing out onto the skin. So 
if you don't do anything about it, then it can twist, strangulate, become gangrenous and kill the patient. But it's complicated by the fact that you're dealing with a six-month-old baby and the biggest problem actually is not the surgery but the anaesthetics for that. It's a very delicate thing to do to put a six-month-old sick baby asleep and then wake him up again safely. And unfortunately here, there's only two anaesthetists for this specialist hospital. They work mainly with nurse anaesthetists who are very good with the bog-standard stuff, but anything beyond that, they don't have any additional skills. So when you see a six-month-old baby coming in who's sick and needs expert care, at home, we'd be able to provide that no problem. And I wouldn't be that worried, to be honest. But here you just look at the baby and you think, oh my goodness, it's 50-50 straight away. And then if the baby dies, it's accepted because it has to be accepted, really. You know, that's just the way it is. So that's what I mean, that life maybe just cannot be as sacred or seen as, as sacred for some reason. That may not, not be the right word, actually. It's just not seen as disastrous if somebody dies here as it would be at home. People accept it a lot more, you know, they accept that there are serious risks and all the rest of it. And so I think they're more used to people dying, they're more used to people being unwell and not getting better. Whereas at home, if somebody's unwell, it's a major, major problem, basically. Bathilda's on the operating table. She's asleep. Raise up the bed, please. Thank you. Yes, good. Good, good, good. More, more, more. More, more, more. I'm going to make it down. Over in the corner, Liam and Duncan are, you know, look like they're electricians actually. They're up in the fuse box. That won't connect into in the this bottom box. box. No, it's the bottom box. Really? Yeah. Duncan is a young doctor visiting with Liam from his hospital in England. So that's a power supply. Yeah, there's power. And what's the other bit? The bit at the back, yeah, what's that doing? That's all for this. Mind, don't touch anything. Yeah. That's, and I have that's no idea what that is. One of the Peter sisters has attached a, a metallic looking pad with a wire coming from it to Bathilda's right leg, just around her calf. This is part of the diathermy machine. This allows the surgeons to use bursts of electricity to cut and cauterize tissue inside the abdomen. So the electricity's just gone off. So we'll just put a no. bit of pressure on this while we're waiting. Well, if it goes off completely, there's absolutely nothing you can do. If we lose vision, we, we haven't a clue what's going on, so that's very, very dangerous. If it's at a difficult part of the operation where there, maybe there's some bleeding, then that's very difficult. But, you know, in the early days, I was there and they were operating and literally the electricity would just cut out and the theatres would just be in complete pitch blackness and so the patient would be no longer connected to the anaesthetic machine because of course that wasn't working it wasn't breathing for the patient so the person who's looking after the anaesthetic would have to bag the patient you know manually ventilate the patient and just hope like that the electricity was going to come on again so when we were about to do the first laparoscopic cholecystectomy this was a major concern because if we were halfway through a laparoscopic operation that's very dangerous you know if you have to stop halfway 
through doing something like cutting, clipping an artery or something like that. And this was the basic operation that we were actually telling them about. So anyway, that morning I rang the National Grid and I did get this lovely woman on the end of the phone who was very interested in what we were doing. I explained to her, you know, we were doing the first keyhole operation in Tanzania, we were taking out a gallbladder, we needed a couple of hours of guaranteed electricity. Was there any chance she could do anything to help us? And of course she was fantastic. She said, yeah, of course, no problem, I'll give you until 12 o'clock. So we started the operation at 10 o'clock. It did take some time, but we were well finished by 12 o'clock and the clock ticked around 12 o'clock and the electricity went off. After a few seconds, the backup generator kicks in. We, we can carry on. Are we in business? Are we in business? Yes. No. Well, in surgery, you can do operations with your eyes shut sometimes. If it's an open operation, for example, you can take out an appendix pretty easily with your eyes shut. I'm not advocating that, obviously. <laughs> but you could. If you're taking out a gallbladder, you can almost do it open now, I mean, with your hands in. You can sometimes do that with your eyes shut because you know the anatomy, you know what you're feeling, etc., etc. So, laparoscopically, then, you lose that facility really. In laparoscopic surgery, we use long instruments through a lever and it's a paradoxical movement. So if you lift your hand up, the instruments at the end goes down. So you have to re relearn all your movements. But you do get tactile feedback. So you do get the feeling that you're touching something, you know? So if your instrument pushes against something, you'll be aware of it. It's obviously nowhere near as good as putting your hand on it, but actually it's, it's, it's good enough. It's definitely good enough. The operating theater is pretty full. About eight young trainee surgeons are gathered around the table. Throughout the entire operation, Kondo and Liam are in teaching mode. Yeah, you could. So he's identified the cystic artery, the cystic duct, he's clipped them, he's divided them. Try bringing the gallbladder on this side again and looking at it when it's down here. Lovely. Well, it is definitely full of adhesions, isn't it? So it's quite likely it's been causing your trouble as well, to be honest. Because Liam and Kondo seem so calm when teaching, it's only in their voices can you hear moments of tension. So, so, okay, don't do that again, okay? So do it gently, okay, and use diathermy. Because there's often a little arteriole just at the apex, you know, where the last bit of the gallbladder comes off. So you better check the bleeding at the top of the liver. Everyone in the room can see on the screen what the student is doing inside Bathilda's abdomen. Then we go for the cystic duct, so... Okay, so artery first. Because the operation is on a TV screen, it has the odd effect of bringing it up close, but also removing it at the same time. Well, just a few centimetres from the... You wonder, can it really be someone's insides you're looking at? It's going behind that loop, isn't it? So yeah, that loop has so to we go. have to, yeah. to go around it, because here we have the small bowel, which is stuck. Yeah. We had first to release the adhesions sticking to the gallbladder wall. And luckily, we divided the gallbladder from the cystic duct and cystic artery. That, you've got to divide oh, that, the apex. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. You can see the electrical wand burning its way through adhesions and separating the gallbladder. And because small pieces of tissue are magnified on the screen, it's easy to forget that the distances are so tiny and one move, one millimetre the wrong way, can rupture an organ. And then you make like uh, 
two centimeter incision, make uh, transverse, and then you push. Somehow the gallbladder got perforated because of the grasp, which uh, was quite sharp and made a hole on the gallbladder wall. And there was a little bile which was draining into the uh, peritoneal cavity. It's not a bad thing because we managed to mop it and drain the, the leaked bile. So we'll just have a look at the appendix a little bit. Very gently, obviously. Just pull this, I see. And the appendix was uh, surrounded by the adhesions, so it was caught up and it had kinked and to coil around uh, the small bowel, of which part of the terminal ileum was also sticking to the abdominal wall. And it's actually quite a long appendix, so it's about 10 to 15 centimeters long. I managed to release the adhesions and free the appendix and we successfully removed it out. Just clean it in, please. Quick in, quick out, leave the swab there. Thank you. Something's down there. Yeah, it's gone really well, actually. We, I'm really happy with it. It went very, very well. Mathilda's having her airway cleared. Her operation is over. She's had her gallbladder and appendix removed. And she's been woken up. She's lifted onto a trolley and taken back up to the ward. It's the morning after the operation. Dr. Kondo checks in on Bathilda. She's okay to go home. He teases her that because they did two procedures in the one operation, she really should be paying double. Batilda is leaving the Kilimanjaro hospital. She's walking gingerly to the taxi, being linked by her sister-in-law. 
In the car, she winces every time it hits a bump. Closer to her house, it's agony. The road is not paved. It's a red dirt track full of potholes going out into the forest. At home, family and neighbours have gathered to welcome her. These are some of the people who pitched in to pay for her operation. She settled back into her bed in the block outhouse. Her conversation is translated by an interpreter. Now all the pain that was hurting her like fire, it subsided. So she's happy that she's, she's going to tell the neighbours and family members that the operation was done by professionals and they didn't cut her open. And that's why she can bend down, she can sit, she can walk at this time. Uh, well, if they would have cut her open, like in a, a big wound, then she would still be at the hospital until this moment. I remember I was sitting with my elbow out the window of the van and this little child came up to the van and just rubbed my elbow. <laughs> and I thought, what is he doing? Nice little fella, so I said hello and all the rest. Then he rubbed my elbow again. And then it suddenly dawned on me, he was trying to rub off the white paint on me, and he thought I was black underneath, which I thought was really nice, because we're all the same colour anyway, really. Which you know as a surgeon when you look inside anybody. This is the surgeon's moment, because this is time to reveal the Karen Wu Surgical Team of the Year. In May 2014, Kondo and Liam won a British Medical Journal Award for their work. Tanzania, come on down, Northumbria Healthcare. As soon as they said that, all on our table jumped in the air. <laughs> we were bouncing around the place. Dr. Condo was so excited, he almost exploded. It was, it, was, it was fantastic. He was absolutely over the moon, as we all were. <laughs> it's time for Liam to head home. Okay, Dr. Kondo. Yeah. Asante Sana. Oh. <laughs> Good man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks or maybe a lot. sooner. Maybe yeah, sooner. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You never know. For everything. We had him for only two weeks. And we are together doing everything, chatting. And now time has come for him to go. It's really sad. And I don't know when we maybe come again, but hopefully next year. Next year. The, the aim is that Dr. Kondo will be the one running the course in a year or so. He'll do everything and I won't have to be here, basically. That's very sad for me in one way, because I like coming. Right. OK, good, good, good. So See safe, Jenny. Is that everything done, Liam? <laughs> Yeah, we just turned Actually, you can just check the uh, marshes turned off in the kitchen on the far wall of the kitchen. Mm -hmm.